0: If you have your Bible with you or an app who will give you access to the Bible, you can open up to Psalm 103, where we will be spending our time this morning. This is another one of King David's greatest hits. This would probably be one of the tracks you actually bought the album for, not those tracks at the second half that you're unsure whoever considered them a hit. Uh, if you've been around church any length of time, many of the lines in this psalm you will be familiar with, I'm guessing. Let's uh, read it together before we get started and take a deeper look at what David is trying to communicate to the people of God with this song. Psalm 103, starting in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and in its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children— to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Um... That's all the time that they gave me this morning. Um, No, it's a long one. Uh, If you would join me in prayer as we prepare and ask God to help us to understand what we need to take out of this this morning and that he would use me uh, to move in your hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. God, we thank you for David and his faithfulness to write these songs thousands of years ago that would encourage the church throughout history. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning as your people to dive deep into your word and see what you have for us. God, we pray through the work of the Holy Spirit, our lives would be changed, that we would not just hear these words, but that we would take them to heart and become more like Jesus, our Savior, who we love. We pray this in his name. Amen. So I grew up in rural farm country in North Dakota. My parents were married very young, and they built a house on land that my grandfather gifted them at their wedding. Uh, they built that house. It's the only house that I ever know, knew growing up. I spent my entire childhood there until the age of 22. Uh, don't tease me about living at home with mom and dad until 22. Um, And like most houses in the Midwest, it had a basement. Uh, This basement was the place that my brother and I in particular spent much time. My dad built us a a bedroom down in the basement that we shared together. I have many fond memories from that basement. Uh, Playing Contra on Nintendo and leaving it paused all day while I went to school so I could come home and pick it back up when I got there. Uh, Playing Nerf basketball and pretending I was Michael Jordan. Um, which I was very convincing at. And then, you know, I remember playing uh, blind tag in the pitch black of the basement, doing, you know, average, very dangerous 80s kid stuff in that basement, I loved it. Um, but it was, a, it was still a basement, right? It was dark, it was kind of musty and damp because every spring it would flood, you know, just a little bit, no big deal. Uh, and it was also, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Terrifying? I think is the word I was looking for, right? It wasn't being down in the basement that was necessarily scary. There, there wasn't anything terrifying about that. No, it was climbing the steps out of the basement that was horrific. Uh, as a kid, I have very distinct memories that no matter what I did, no matter what I told myself, no matter what I knew, when I headed up those stairs alone... There was a moment halfway up when terror would roar up in my heart and I was convinced that a monster was coming out of the darkness to eat my legs. And I would totally panic and I would bound up the stairs as fast as my husky little legs would get me. And then I'd get to to the top and I'd breathe a sigh of relief and I'd chuckle nervously about how ridiculous all of this was. Um, I, I knew that there was nothing in the basement. I knew monsters weren't real. And yet there was nothing that I could do to stamp out that feeling every time I climbed the stairs. And I wish I could tell you that it went away as I got older, but my parents sold that house a few years ago, and I had the opportunity to go back and see the house before they got rid of it. And I went down to the basement to reminisce, and there I am, climbing the stairs, a father in his 30s. (laughs) And my adrenaline spiked, and it took everything in me not to bound up the stairs three steps at a time. It's ridiculous, but... That's the thing uh, about humanity. Feelings can carry so much weight. Emotion can threaten to become our reality. And we find ourselves in a place of real danger when we have nothing but our emotions to go on. Our emotions mislead us, they lie to us, they coax us into to decisions that make little to no sense. We follow our emotions into sin, into despondency, and into spiritual depression. Here in this psalm, David tackles this issue. How do we combat the feelings and emotions that lead us to a dark place? What do we do when we feel abandoned by God? What do we do when we feel like we got shortchanged in this life? What do we do when we're frightened? What do we do when we doubt? What do we do when we wonder if God is even there? David has experienced moments of darkness in his own story. He was hunted uh, by an army and a king who wanted to see him dead in his youth, and he spent time hiding in caves in the desert to survive it. David pursued an affair and committed murder to cover it up. David watched as the child that was born of that relationship died as a newborn. David knew darkness. David has felt hurt. David had lived in shame. David had felt loneliness and abandonment. David knew what it felt like to live in the emotion of the moment where it feels like nothing else matters, where circumstances overwhelm everything. He knows that feeling of having uh, oppressive spiritual tunnel vision where everything seems to be lost and become detached from reality because nothing can feel more real than this. But David knows that there's a cure for this spiritual depression. It's worship. He understands in his own heart the inclination that he has to wander from God, to begin to believe that the feelings in his life are more real than the truth that he knows. And he writes a song to tackle the problem. And where does he start? He starts with his own heart. He looks inward and he begins the important work of preaching to himself to encourage and command his own heart. Here's how he starts. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He's giving himself a pep talk, a motivational speech. David understands that when you are far from God, when you feel abandoned and the circumstances of your life are overwhelming to you, when the siren song of sin begins to ring in your ears, you do have a way out. An escape from the crushing reality that seems inescapable in the moment, it is worship. My in-laws live on a lake in west central Minnesota. It's a, a modest but beautiful place that uh, my wife and I have the blessing to be able to take my sons every summer to go hang out uh, for a while on the lake there. Just about an hour north of where they live is the first state park that was ever founded in the state of Minnesota. Uh, It's a park called Itasca State Park. It's a fairly average place in Minnesota, to be honest. I mean, it's got trees and mosquitoes and wood ticks. There's a fairly average lake in the middle of it called Lake Itasca. It's really not that special, except something remarkable begins there. At the northern edge of the lake, there is a small rocky dam in which the water of the lake pours over and begins creating a stream. It's only about 40 feet across. It's no more than knee deep. You can wade right across it. It is an unremarkable place, except for the sign that stands next to the banks that says, here begins the mighty Mississippi River. Born right there in the humble overflow of an average lake in an average place. Likewise, David understands that the headwaters of worship begin as an overflow of a grateful heart. And he coaches his soul to bless or praise the Lord as he opens the psalm. And he reminds himself, and by his extension, us, how to do that starting in verse 2. Here's what he says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Life is difficult. Life is bumpy. Life hurts. Life can leave us injured and damaged, and we can easily settle into the hurts and live there. We can set up camp and believe that this is the new reality of who I am. This is what defines me, my suffering, my hurts, my sin. These are the things that define who I am. David knows the danger of living in that place. He knows that it's a lie that tries to seek to trap us in its darkness, and he knows That the key is taking our eyes off our immediate situation and looking beyond to what God has done for us and what he promises to do for us. And it's there we can begin building a heart of thankfulness, of gratitude toward the God who's been faithful to us. I think it's very important that we acknowledge and recognize the natural bent that's within all of us. Uh, Being grateful is not exactly what humanity is known for. We struggle to acknowledge God's goodness toward us without practice and habits that build it into our lives. Why? Because gratitude requires an admission of external need. Gratitude requires an admission of helplessness. And we, in particular, here in Western society, uh, in our culture, are filled with this idea that being truly in need is weakness, that being helpless is an undesirable quality. We live in a world that says survival of the fittest is the way things work. A world that's built on strength, a meritocracy. Alternatively, true thankfulness comes from a place of understanding and admission. Gratitude has no illusions about competence or ability. True thankfulness is found in the heart of a person who understands that they are at the end of themselves. When you find yourself in a place where you are no longer free to pretend that you have things under control, it opens you up to a real, lasting gratitude when help finally arrives. A person who's in the ocean and on the verge of drowning doesn't have the luxury of keeping up the illusion that they have everything together. Instead, they wave their hands over their heads, they use every ounce of breath they have to scream for help. And when the lifeguard arrives, just in the nick of time, they are... Very grateful. A person sitting on death row in their cell the night before their execution loses the ability to lie anymore about control being something that they possess. There's nothing they can do and I'm guessing there is never a point that you realize it more than that and as a result when pardon comes thankfulness pours out. David here begins to rattle off the unrelenting goodness of That God has shown him in his own life. And he begins with what God has done with him. Back in verse 2, here's what he says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. David here begins to talk through a lightning list of how God has loved him and cared for him directly in his life. He's making what seem like sweeping general statements about God's goodness, but these are not generic truths about God. He's using them to stir up in his heart reminders of how God has directly blessed him in his life. David recounts his own sin and remembers how God has forgiven him, his own hurts that God has healed, his own history that God has redeemed him from. Not only that, David says that God has given him what he calls a crown composed of life and love and mercy. God has taken the deepest desires of David's heart, the places in himself that he's tried to fill with his own power, with his own lusts, with his own efforts, And instead, God has satisfied him with a crown of his goodness. He's brought him out of the darkness of his life where he was trapped, and he has shown him the love and hope for his future that only God can offer him. And now David, instead of heading into the back half of his life, a bitter, tired, angry, destroyed, and cynical old man, he's been given hope for tomorrow. He's recaptured the hope and the optimism of his youth. Now, maybe when you hear David recounting the thankfulness that he feels towards God, you feel a little bit what I felt when I started working through the psalm here, guilt. You know that God has been incredibly faithful to you. You know that he has saved you and pulled your life out of the pit of eternal despair, and yet you functionally have forgotten his grace to you over and over. You've nursed an ungrateful heart, And the worship that should be flowing out of your heart instead has dried up to a trickle or stopped altogether. And you wonder, how could God possibly treat someone like me? Someone that he loved, cared for, rescued. And then I ignored him and discounted his goodness and complained that he hadn't done enough. David has encouraging words for you too, if you feel that. He reminds us of how God dealt with Israel In the desert, God had rescued them from slavery where they had toiled for hundreds and hundreds of years with no hope of escape. Then he destroyed their enemies who were chasing them down by covering them with the waters of the Red Sea. He promised to bring them to a land that they could inherit that was rich with milk and honey. And then there at the base of the mountain in the desert, they began to complain and to grumble And they made themselves a golden calf that they began to worship instead of God. His anger was justified. His wrath was expected. But instead, David reminds us of who our God really is and how he responds to those that he loves. He made his ways known to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger Abounding in steadfast love, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for us. Toward those who fear him, as far from the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. What an incredible Reminder, God looked at the people he had saved from Egypt, the people that he had called to be his own. He looked at how quickly they had forgotten what he had done for them and how quickly they turned away from him. And David says, look at how he dealt with them. He was merciful. He was gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not define you by your sin. He does not treat you as you deserve to be treated. He does not retaliate against you. Instead, his love is overwhelming. And for those who return to him who run to him who hide under the shadow of his wings he removes their sin from them and pulls them close. This is the God who is willing to step down out of heaven and become a man so that he could die in your place. He put it all on the line to pull his people out of bondage so that he could call them his own. His love could be no clearer. He knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your faults. He understands you at the deepest levels that you exist. And for many of us, that's a terrifying idea. Humanity spends an inordinate amount of time attempting to hide who we really are from the world, even from those that are closest to us, because we fear if we were really known, if they really got a look inside of us, the things we struggle with, the things that we do, that we would be rejected and shunned. And yet David says, he knows you, and he knows your weakness, and yet he loves you. As a father shows compassion to those who fear him, he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his commandments. Uh, I have a confession for you this morning. It's not something I'm proud of, but I, I want to admit it publicly here before you. Uh, for much of my life, I have been terrified of newborn babies. It's not, I'm not proud of that. Um, It's one of those things that my wife and I waited for quite a while to have kids and so many of our friends were having babies before us and we would do the thing that all good friends do when your friends have a baby, you go to the hospital or maybe to their house right after the baby arrives and you tell them how cute their baby is, even if the baby's not that cute, you just say it anyway, oh, he's so cute, so wonderful. And then the moment came that I always feared. I loved the people, I loved the baby, I was so excited, but then they'd say, hey, Jeremy, do you want to hold the baby? Nah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it's not that babies are inherently scary, uh, but, but I was always overwhelmed by this idea of how helpless and frail and weak this baby is, and here I am, this large, bumbling, bearded man, uh, and the idea of me holding and being responsible for something so tiny and precious was something I frankly was just not interested in. I mean, really, what is the upside here? I hold your baby terrified for a few moments and hand it back. That's the win. The downside is, whoops, I dropped your baby. (laughs) This is not, no, no thanks. But then, I had kids of my own, and, and I could not wait to hold my son from the moment that he came into this world. He was no stronger than other baby. Well, maybe a little bit stronger. He was my son, but he was well within the normal range of baby strength. <laughs> but I held him close, and, and something in me changed in that minute. And actually, it was the fact that I understood how delicate he was and how helpless he was and how dependent he was on me for everything that made me care for him and love him even more. David says that God looks upon mankind like a father who holds a child in his arms. He shows compassion for us in our weakness. He made us and he knows that we are nothing but dust. He knows we are temporal and we are short-lived. He knows we are frail and easily hurt. And this God committed his love to those people. His love is steadfast And immovable, it is eternal and forever from before time began, and it will exist until after time ends. And for those who call upon his name, for those who fear him, for those who turn to his mercy and love, he will be faithful to love them, and his love is the kind of love that echoes through generations. To children's children's, will the impact of his grace be felt, and we worship him. The practice of building up a heart of thankfulness cannot be ignored in the life of Christians. It is vital to your spiritual life. It is vital to your spiritual health and your spiritual growth. I want to give you three key things before we wrap up today that you can pursue, pursue in your life that will help you build the habit of thankfulness and of gratitude and of worship. The first is, Regularly recount the stories of God's faithfulness to you in your life. Make it a regular part of your spiritual habit to actively work through the stories of how God has rescued you, how God has cared for you, how God has carried you, how he has forgiven you. Tell stories of your salvation, stories of his protection, stories of healing, stories of blessing. In your prayers, lead with thanksgiving, not petition. In your retelling of your history, bring forward the tales of his faithfulness. When you tell your children the stories of the milestones of your life, don't tell it so that you look like a hero or that you can amplify your cleverness. Instead, tell it as a tale of God's care for you. In my house, my wife started a tradition, which I'm sure is very common, many of you probably practiced something very similar but it has been very impactful in my heart and so I wanted to share it with you this morning. A few years ago uh, my wife came home and she was all excited she had a bag with some tissue paper or whatever in it and she said oh you you got to see what I got today and she unravels it and she pulls it out it's a blessing jar. There's nothing magical about it it's literally a jar that says blessing on the side of it it's got a big hole in the top a cork or whatever stuffed in the top of it and she was all excited I got a blessing jar and I said that's great, honey. I'm so excited. And inside I'm thinking, this is just another knickknack that's going to cutely sit on the shelf for the next two years until we give it away to someone else. But, hey, if it makes her happy, I'm happy. That's great. So she takes the blessing jar, she puts it up on top of the refrigerator in the kitchen, and there sits the blessing jar. Awesome. Until nearly a year goes by and we have Thanksgiving dinner together and my wife has slaved most of the day preparing an incredible meal for us, which we have enjoyed and now have cleared the table and we're sitting around and I'm thinking of nothing but football and a nap. And she gets up and she works her way into the kitchen and she comes back and she has under her arm the blessing jar. I'm thinking, what's this all gonna be about? She pops the cork on the top of the blessing jar and she comes to my plate and she dumps it out and 20 or so pieces of little folded white paper tumble out onto my plate. I made sure to clean my plate of all the gravy and everything so don't worry, it was perfectly fine. (laughs) Uh, And she says, I want to start something new this year. Okay, so I take the first piece of paper and I unfold it. And what I see inside is that she has written things on these pieces of paper. Things like, God, thank you for providing us with the extra money to pay that medical bill. And I set it aside and I open the next one. And it says something like, thank you for giving us a place to go stay as a family for vacation folded it up, and I set it aside, and I opened the next one, and it says something like, thank you for letting our son Asher get over his sickness quickly. And I set it aside. There was nothing crazy on these pieces of paper. There was nothing overwhelming on these pieces of paper, and I remember thinking, actually, as I was reading them, the vast majority of them, how in the world did she think to put this on a piece of paper and stick it in the blessing jar? She seems like she's kind of reaching here. And I continued to read, and by the time I had reached about the 10th one, I began to cry. And by the time I got to the end of the pile of papers, I had a hard time reading the last few because I was weeping. Not because any of those things were individually massive, but as we began to recount the steady faithfulness of God to us, my heart swelled with gratitude and I was filled with worship for our great God. Each and every small blessing in your life, every gift from him is easily ignored, easily discounted, easily reduced, easily forgotten. But when we gather them together and recount them together, they have the power to overwhelm a cynical heart and awaken worship in the hearts of God's people. When we listen, we can hear the unmistakable drumbeat of God's faithfulness to us and we will worship. Secondly, I want to encourage you to listen to the stories of God's faithfulness in the community of God's people. As a community ministries pastor, of course, I could go on and on about the benefits of being deeply embedded into the Christian community. There are many things that would bless you there. Hearing and being encouraged by stories is just one of the reasons uh, that community can be tremendously shaping and encouraging in the heart of Uh, of God's people that can encourage you to be grateful and for your heart to overflow in worship. You need to be with God's people. And, And I mean that by these people in the room. You need to be involved with the people of this church. Live in their stories. Carry their cares with them. Cry with them when they are hurting. Tell them the stories of God's faithfulness to you in their doubt. Tell them the stories of God's faithfulness to you and encourage them in their struggles when they don't believe that he's there. And then be prepared to rejoice alongside them and help them celebrate when God comes through like he always does. Don't rob God's church of that gift. My wife Rachel and I have been through uh, a lot in our lives We have two sons with serious chronic illnesses. We lost another son as an infant. Uh, We've suffered through much, and through that suffering, we have seen God's commitment to love and shape us as we look back through the things we've walked through in our lives. Because of the experiences we've had, we've been given a gift that we never wanted but we cherish now. It's the ability to help people who are struggling like we have struggled. We very often have the opportunity to talk with people whose kids are suffering with illnesses. We have the opportunity to talk with parents who have lost a child. My wife in particular gets that opportunity regularly as, as moms seek her out, looking for encouragement and direction as they struggle in these areas. There, there was a woman that she was going to be meeting with in this last year uh, who had a, a child with a, a chronic illness that was not going to go away. They were going to suffer with this for the rest of their lives, and she was really struggling. And my wife, because she is thoughtful and caring, she wanted to spend time preparing for the coffee that they were going to have together. She wanted the opportunity to be as helpful as possible. And so we began to talk about, what are the things that I can say to her? I don't know really what to say. And I said, you need to tell her what is true, that God is faithful, that you can depend on him, That even in the darkness, he is there and he is using your suffering to shape you and make you more into the likeness of Jesus. That you will not believe in a few years when you look back how faithful he has been. And then she sat quietly for a moment and she said, I I know all of that is true, but I don't want to sound like a cliché. She was concerned that those things sound like Christian platitudes, like a Jesus bumper bumper sticker. And, And I get that. I get that. So many of the encouraging truths about God sound like hollow, trite sound bites. God is love. God cares for the brokenhearted. God forgives people. God uses suffering to grow you and shape you. But in the context of real Christian life, God-shaped platitudes transform into powerful words of hope when they are backed by stories of how God has demonstrated these truths to you. The truth that God can really heal your broken heart has extraordinary power when it's delivered by someone who has seen and experienced him as a healer of your broken heart. The truth that God will use your suffering to bring you close to him and to grow you has extraordinary power when it's delivered by someone who has waited through the darkest moments of life and come out the other side with renewed faith and confidence that our God is faithful. Your experience and your testimony In the community of faith is an extraordinary tool of transformation and worship. Don't rob the people of God of that. Be involved with his people. Lastly, immerse yourself into the story of redemption. Christian, this Bible is filled with nearly unlimited examples of the promise-keeping, gently loving, plan-executing, eternally powerful, ever-faithful God that we serve— the story of God's work in creation throughout time is loaded with hope-giving stories of his faithfulness. Dive deep into the testimony of history and humanity and watch closely as God repeatedly shows himself to be more faithful, more powerful, more loving than we could have ever dreamed. Wade into the gospels and see Jesus on display. Watch God become man and walk among us. Watch him go to the powerless and the oppressed and love them. Watch him love the brokenhearted and heal broken bodies. Watch him go to the cross to save a rebellious and murderous people like us. Watch him raise to life and ascend to the right hand of the Father. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Church, fill the waterways of your heart with gratitude and thanksgiving. Watch as your soul begins to pour over into worship. Gather together with the community of God's people, bringing their hearts overflowing with worship together with yours. Immerse yourself in the story of God found in the Bible, and like the mighty Mississippi River, soon your heart will become part of a mighty torrent of worship pouring out of the people of God, and you will cry out like David, calling to all of God's people to join you in worship. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, his ministries who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul, he is worthy of our praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for your kindness to us. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to your people. We have no illusions that we are deserving. We have no ability to pretend that you have owed us anything. God, thank you for David's faithfulness to give us the encouraging direction to follow and how to bring our hearts to you in worship. God, we pray that we would be changed by these words and that we would love Jesus more and more. We pray this in his name, amen. Thanks for being here. Have a great week, everyone.